0: You've tuned in to the 49ers Rush Podcast, and here is your host, John Chapman. All right, 49ers Rush Podcast is back for its second episode of the week. I'm really trying to pick up the pace here a little bit with training camp coming up. There's a whole bunch of stuff I want to get into. So today the goal is I want to cover the last three remaining draft prospects. DJ Jones, Pita Tamo Apinu. All right, it's probably going to be Peta from now on. Lucky to get that one out. And Adrian Colbert. Or Colbert if you're into late night talk shows. But let's start off right off the bat with DJ Jones. We're going to go into a very brief kind of background, film breakdown, and scheme fit. And how we acquired him. These last three picks all had trades pinned to them. So we drafted DJ Jones, the defensive tackle, really nose guard, out of Ole Miss in the sixth round with the number 198 overall pick. And this is a pick we got from the Ravens. This was part of the Jeremy Zuda deal. Which, if you don't know anything about Jeremy Zutaw, he is an absolute beast and will be our starting center day one. And if he stays healthy, he's going to be a pivotal piece to our offensive line. Absolutely love this deal here. And basically, because we had the extra cap room, we were able to make this deal. So um, we picked up his $5.7 million contract who the Ravens were basically going to cut. Now, this is where the deal happened because we dropped back 12 spots in the sixth round. That's it. The Ravens jumped up 12 spots, and they picked Chuck Clark, a cornerback from Virginia Tech who I think was overdrafted, uh, probably seventh rounder or free agent, but hey, that's fine. That doesn't have to deal with us, but we totally killed this deal by picking up a starting center and a project nose guard in the sixth round. Just for dropping back 12 spots. So a little bit of background about him. He's 6'1". Some sites have him at 6', but the combine put him closer to six one. 320 pounds. Um, he is a bowling pin. If you look at a bowling pin, that is the shape that you get with DJ Jones. He is very thick-waisted, and <laughs> he's huge. He is absolutely huge. Now, what's interesting is that he actually, one of his strengths in his game is his lateral movement, which you would not expect with a 6 foot, 320 pound guy. And he almost does it to a fault. Usually, whenever you see these shorter kind of bowling pin guys, they are known for having amazing leverage because they can get underneath the center and underneath the guard and drive them back. That's not really his game. He's more of a side to side juke big guy. He's an athlete trapped in a nose guard's body, if that makes any sense. Um, He was a huge JUCO uh, recruit coming out of East Mississippi Junior College. He was able to win two national championships at the JUCO level and was a key piece there. Their run defense was stout, and a lot of that had to do with him. Now, one of the major negatives about him is he is super short-armed. Usually whenever they're that thick and that big, you want those long arms so they can get separation That's not his game. That's not really who he is. And a good thing about him, as you watch film, whenever he transferred to Ole Miss for his junior and senior year, he played in a very similar scheme, 4-3 defensive line. Um, The main difference is they stunted a lot at Ole Miss, which I doubt we'll be doing as much, but that is a key part of his game. So I I think it would be a smooth transition for him uh, in our new defense. He might be ahead of a lot of the other guys, to be honest with you. Um, As I said, he's definition nose tackle build, but his game doesn't really match his build. His swim move is about as clean as you're going to see from an interior guy, which is dangerous because whenever you have a defensive lineman swimming, basically trying to get skinny to the side and just fly through the gap, it's a good thing on pass rushing downs but it's a bad time. It's a bad it's a horrible thing to do on any running downs because what you're doing is you're allowing the guard or the center free release to go to your linebackers. And so I know of some defensive schemes where they don't even allow those to take place swim moves or spin moves because again it depends on what your goal is with your interior lineman. And so if our goal is to get penetration, we say go ahead shoot the gap, that's fine. Think about a lot of Miami defensive line type stuff. Or is your job to hold up the offensive linemen so your linebackers can run free, which is something that made like Ray Lewis famous. Think back to those days and besides the murder. But think back to those days. Sorry, not the biggest Ray Lewis character guy. I I will constantly throw him under the bus. But anyway, I regress. So what we have here is we have a very athletic, agile guy that's going to be a project. And if you can't tell already, I'm not a big fan of this pick. He plays his best when he's stunting, but at the same time, usually in a 4-3, whenever it's obvious pass rushing downs, you're taking these big guys off the field and you're kicking in DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas. So I'm not sure how much playing time he's going to get. So early down work will be good for him, especially if we're playing against kind of a bigger team, a team that runs multiple tight ends, whether that's uh, like Carolina Week 1, if we were to play against a team like New England that uses lots of tight ends, I think we could see him being moved up to the practice schedule because we're going to need an extra big body. But he's gonna—he's in a fight. He's going to have to fight with Chris Jones for that backup nose spot. Quentin Dial could be in that conversation as well, but I think Quentin Dial is going to be safe because of his versatility because he can play that one or three technique very easily. And if you look at PFF's grades, like he's not a negative player. He finished the year as the number 21 interior defensive lineman. And it's not because he made a lot of splash plays or a lot of stats. It's just he does his job and maintains his gap. And so I I think it's going to be kind of hard for DJ to overrun Chris Jones and Quentin Dial. So I think he's going to be on the practice squad. I really do. Um, He could get moved up certain weeks, like I said. And he's really one of my least favorite picks of this draft. But we'll see what happens. I mean, we basically got him for free the Jeremy Zutaw trade. So let's move on to the next guy. And probably my favorite of these three, and that's Peta. Uh, we got him in the sixth round, pick number 202 from the Broncos. And so if you go back, this is the second part of the Vernon Davis trade, which just breaks my heart. Vernon Davis is such a fun 49er for such a long time that you just you got to be happy for what he's doing in Washington. Now what's funny is, and this is going to get sad, Basically what we got in this trade was two six round picks. And who'd we pick last year? Jeff Dam Driscoll quarterback and PETA. So PETA hopefully will be a little bit f- a flashier pick and pan out better than Jeff Driscoll who never even made our active roster. Um, he is actually currently on Cincinnati's practice squad. He can't crack the roster there. Uh, maybe they will move him up if AJ McGarron takes off, but he's just, he hasn't panned out well. And, What the Broncos got was Vernon Davis and a six-round pick, who they picked a punter, Riley Dixon, who started every game for him last year. So I don't know who really got the better or worse of this trade. Probably Washington, to be honest with you, because Vernon Davis did not play well in Denver. He He was there for the Super Bowl run, so I'm glad he got a ring, but he didn't even have one catch in the entire postseason or Super Bowl for Denver. So they let him go, and he went off to Washington. And he just re-signed another contract with Washington. So it seems like he's still got a couple more years. So congrats to them. Now, let's jump back to PETA. PETA is the definition of an amazing human being and kid that you want to root for. He's 6'1", 243, so very, very small, very skinny to be an edge-type player. He was born in Texas, but he moved to Tonga at the age of three. Yes, Tonga. You heard that correct. And Matt Burrows, uh the SACB, did a great piece and is an absolute must-read on PETA and kind of how he learned the sport. He grew up on a farm in Tonga where he would go out and pick weeds in the farm in the morning, then go to school, then come back from school, and then go work in the farm some more. And so he had this crazy work ethic, and he stayed out there for about 14 years. At age 17, he gets sent to go stay with an uncle in Provo, Utah didn't really even speak English very well, and he didn't even know football. He he didn't understand it at all, and it's awesome. He was at a Little League game, and he kept hearing all these screaming and shouts and went over and watched football and all that stuff. The next day, whenever he was in high school, he went and talked to the football coach and said, hey, I want to play football, and this is kind of sad. The football coach asked him, do you even know how to play football, kid? Uh, Peter said no, not really, I don't understand it, I just want to play. And the coach kind of laughed at him and said, well, go home and play video games and try to learn it that way. And the team kind of laughed at him. It's just absolutely sad why you would treat a kid that way. Anyway, former coach here, so it kind of pisses me off even more. But what happens is he changes schools, and the new coach had a much better attitude and started off super simple. He recognized how athletic he was, and so the coach tells him, you know what, just go tackle the quarterback. Run straight through this guy and tackle the quarterback. And these were simple enough things. Now, the funny thing is the very first time he got a play, he goes and he levels the quarterback. Only problem was the quarterback threw the ball about three seconds before that. So he gets flagged for uh, unnecessary roughness against the quarterback, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And So the coach brought him to the sidelines, calmed him down, and said, okay, you know what, great job, new rule. You get to tackle the quarterback, but only if he's got the football. And so they sent him back out there, and he did great. Lots of other times where he kind of got upset. Um, He was on the kickoff return team, and one time he didn't go out there because he just didn't understand what was going on. And the coach came over there and said, Peter, why are you not out there? You're on kickoff return. And Peter's response was, yes, coach, I'm on kickoff return, not KOR. You said KOR. I'm not on KOR. I'm on kickoff return because he just doesn't understand the game. And so he was only 160 pounds as a junior in high school. Tiny, imagine that playing defensive end. The very next year, his senior year, All-State player. So it took very little time to see how great of an athlete this guy was and how it transferred um, to the field. Now, once you get on to film with this guy, his athletic ability and motor is absolutely insane. He never stops. And it's kind of fun to see because he's not very big. But he gets down in that kind of four point stance, NASCAR uh, stance, where he just shoots out almost like a sprinter in the 100 yard dash after the quarterback. And it, he gets blocked. He does get blocked quite often, but he is a second and third effort kind of guy that's going to get to the quarterback. And it doesn't help, I mean, I'm sorry, and it does help a lot that he ran the 40 and a 4.67 and his three cone both are in the top 90 percentile for edge rushers. And so he has all of the talent in the world. If he can still learn, he's still learning a lot. He's not the best form tackler. He doesn't really deliver violent blows or blow people up. He basically hugs and brings down. But he gets to the quarterback and he gets where he wants. You'll see him making tackles ten to a, a fifteen yards downfield on the opposite side. So he'll run the arc to where the quarterback is going to be. The quarterback will throw it the opposite way. He doesn't quit. He keeps running and basically trails the running back or the receiver, and when they juke, he catches them from behind. He is a great team guy as well. He celebrates a lot, and you can tell. It's that good kind of celebrate with his teammates. He's just so excited, and he celebrates more whenever his teammates make a big play than when he does, and so he's just such an easy guy to root for. I think he's going to be a huge fan favorite, and this kid's making the roster. I don't know about DJ uh, Jones. This kid's making the roster, and a lot of it has to do with He's at a huge position of need. He's got crazy speed, and he's going to contribute on special teams, probably all four units, punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return, or KOR. Uh, hopefully he's learned that by now. But he's got a role, and he we kind of drafted him. Our scheme fit for him is he's going in on obvious pass rushing downs when we kick the other three big three in. So when Solomon Thomas goes from that Leo spot and gets kicked down, Um, he's going to be the guy that's going to go in pass rush situations. So um, he's not going to get a lot of snaps, and his uh, stats aren't going to be huge, but he plays a role. And, you know, we have Elvis Dumerville there now that will help out a lot, but whenever we want, you know, if it's third and long, this kid's going to be in there in a very simple, hey, you're going in for one play, and you're going in at that, you know, defensive end spot, and you just go get the quarterback. And that's kind of going to be who he is. So my kind of comp for him is an old 49er we got in 2006 in the fifth round. That's Perils Harrelson. Um, I really think their game is very, very similar. And Harrelson did great for us. Um, he had eight sacks in one year. And if you want to figure out who PETA is, go back and watch the Arizona State game. That is by far his best film. He had three sacks in the game and a lot of other tackles. He just he blew up off the screen. So go go take a look at that one. Now, let's move on to our last prospect of the day, and that's our seventh-round pick, uh, overall number 229. That's Adrian Colbert, defensive back from Miami. He went to Texas right out of high school, and he was there for three years, and then he transferred with the coaching change and all that stuff. He just couldn't find his way on the field, and a lot of that had to do with he was a poor tackler. Well, let me pause. We'll get to that. Let's talk about the trade and how we got this kid first. So we got this pick from the Saints, and this, again – Man, John Lynch, just hats off. He destroyed this draft. He did so well. And so what we did was we gave up our third-rounder, number 67 overall, to the Saints for two for a 2018 second-rounder for the Saints. So we get their next year's pick and they threw in this seventh-round pick as extra. So the main trade here is next year's second-round pick, which is so much trade collateral that we could use next year if we want to move up or move back down or whatever. Um, But Adrian Colbert's just bonus. He's just a bonus guy. And he is a 100% project player. So um, he's six foot, 200 pounds, and he is built like a running back. He really looks like Jamal Charles out there playing safety and corner. Like, when you get to see him stride, it's a thing of beauty. I mean, this kid could probably play four positions on the field. He's just not polished at anything. Um, he didn't even get invited to the combine and he didn't even play that many games at Miami or Texas. So he wasn't even a starter for his team anywhere that he went. So it's very weird that he made this move, but let's talk about why. So they go to his pro day and he gets out there and runs a 4.0 flat 40 and everybody was really impressed. And they say, Hey man, get up there and do it again. His second 40 time 4.0 flat 40. And everybody was just like, man, because when you look at this guy, he is built. And so he's a huge size, speed guy that can play corner and safety. Again, this theme just echoes throughout this entire draft. Player versatility. He can play two spots and help out on special teams. I think that his position is going to be at free safety for us. But anyway, we'll get into that. Now, his film, I, I said earlier, he, he's a terrible tackler. He misses a lot of tackles, but when he makes the tackle, he he blows people up. He is the definition of a huge hitter. He just doesn't bring his arms. He is trying to make sports center with every play that he's out there, and that that can be a huge negative because if you're playing safety and you miss a tackle, it's to the house. And this happened lots of times in Texas. Um, you go back and watch that film, and you can see <laughs> the last play of several games is he gives up a huge play because of a missed tackle and he doesn't go back in for the entire second half. So he's got to work on that. But again, if you look at his highlight reel, it's a lot of fun because he's blowing people up all over the field. He's exceptional on special teams, very twitchy, just all out athlete. He's a hundred percent project player. Like I said, so you're just going completely on athletic ability and size. And I mean, when you pick somebody up at, at the end of the seventh round, this is kind of what you're getting. It's a project. Now, we need somebody behind um, our safety, Jimmy Ward, who's playing free safety. We don't really have anybody. And so we've got Jaquiski Tart, but I think he's just going to be that primary backup and maybe even compete with Eric Reed for that strong safety spot, that Cam Chancellor role, even though I hate saying that. But that's kind of what's going to happen in this defense. So who's going to be behind him? And I think it comes down to Adrian Colbert or one of our undrafted free agents. Lorenzo Jerome out of St. Francis. Um, I think it's going to be one of those two guys that's going to make this roster. So what I think we're going to do is my next podcast, I'm going to be covering three of the, I guess, most hyped undrafted free agents that we signed. Uh, the tight end Cole Hickettini, running back Mike Bre- Matt Breda, and the free safety Lorenzo Jerome that I just talked about so that's what's up on the next podcast appreciate the shout out lots of people uh hit me up on Twitter and put suggestions out there and it helps a lot so I really appreciate that so reach out to me on Twitter it's JL underscore Chapman again JL underscore Chapman C-H-A-P-M-A-N uh really appreciate you guys and thanks for sticking around and we'll catch you next week